This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. On December 30th, 1962, the Green Bay Packers strolled into Yankee Stadium to defend their NFL championship against the New York Giants. This Lombardi-led team was ultimately successful in defeating the Giants 16-7, but the outcome of this game would end up being a victory for all NFL fans of the future, and it all revolved around a family with the last name of Sable. Welcome to the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. Your host is Arnie Chapman. Football is his passion, and he wants you to come along with him to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board his DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. This time we just up with the DeLorean. The date is December 30th, 1962, and we are at East 161st Street and River Avenue in the Bronx. Now, we're here to witness the NFL championship game between the Green Bay Packers and the New York Football Giants two storied franchises. It might not have seemed like it at the time, but they would not face each other again in the playoffs for over four decades. A game that, quite honestly, this week's guest probably wants to forget because that would lead to them going into the Super Bowl and the Eli Manning to David Tyree beating the Patriots and all those types of things, but that's not what we're here for. We're here because there are 17 members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame between these two teams. On the field, a coach, an owner, and 15 players. But something else might be lost in the shuffle of this game because it's something important for not just the Green Bay Packers and New York Giants fans, but for all the NFL fans for the future. Because you see, there was at least one more Hall of Fame around the field that day. Maybe two. Uh, We'll get to that later. And this would ultimately launch what would become NFL Films. Our first Hall of Famer. Ed Sable. He contacted Pete Rizal and he paid the NFL double what the going rate was to film this 1962 NFL championship game. It was a smashing success and later the NFL would buy the production company and call it, you guess it, NFL Films. The reason why I say maybe two Hall of Famers is because I'm not 100% sure, I think, but I couldn't find it for sure, that his son Steve Sable was also on the field for that game. Or if he wasn't on that game, he started at least a couple years later. No matter the details, though, the result of this would be the same. Ed's company, which at the time was called Blair Productions, because it was named after his daughter, would become the NFL Films. And we now have access to footage from over a half a century ago, and it is hard to rival for any other sports leagues that are out there. And that's where we bring in this week's guest, Joe Zuko. Now, Joe is a producer and director over at NFL Films. He has been able to work on some great projects, some of which include Hard Knocks, The Great Brady Heist, and the NFL 100 All-Time Team as part of the NFL celebration for the 100 season. Speaking of the NFL All-Time Team, would you be interested in a box set of this film? If you just put your hand up and you said yes, then you're in luck because Joe is helping us with another contest. And if you want to be one of the lucky winners of this box set of the NFL 100 all-time team, well, all you have to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest. And don't forget, there are ways for you to earn multiple entries into this contest. Again, you got to head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest. 
Also, while you're at it, if you like this show, please consider leaving us a review and rate us on your podcast player of choice. And, you know, I gotta tell you this. Don't forget to mash that little subscribe button on your podcast player of choice. That way you get the hottest, freshest off the press episodes each and every week. But for now, let's get into that interview that I've been talking about with Joe Zuko. So, uh, one of the first things, too, I wanted to ask is, how does a kid from a small town grow up to get his dream job? Tell me that story. Um, you know, just a lot of lucky breaks along the way, I guess. You know, I uh, always loved sports, played, you know, a bunch of sports growing up and through high school. Um, knew I wanted to be involved somehow. Uh, initially, kind of that dream at when I started looking for colleges and stuff was to maybe be on air as like a baseball play-by-play guy or something like that. I went to school, went to Northeastern University in Boston, which is... I used to visit Boston a lot as a kid, loved it, uh, and it was a radio uh, and television communications major. Uh, and then just through some of the classwork and some of the uh, like co-op internship type programs that they have there, I just kind of love doing the behind the scenes stuff, putting shows together. So that was great. And through some of that experience that I graduated with because of the way Northeastern has their co-op program, I was able to get a job at a local TV station that I had worked at in college as soon as I graduated. And then a couple, about a year or so later, I turned that into a job with uh, ABC Sports in New York back before everything was under the Disney umbrella was collapsed into ESPN. And I got to do a lot of uh, live sports coverage, you know, just as a production assistant on college football and then golf, which was great. And my dream had always been to work for NFL films. I mean, I grew up watching all that, you know, NFL films stuff since I I was a kid. Uh, I had applied like right out of school and stuff and that, you know, didn't work out. But after getting some more experience, it was about 2000, maybe late 2004. And I think the NFL Network started in 2005. They were going to start filming some programming out of the NFL films building. Um, so while I wanted to do documentary style, NFL film style stuff it was kind of a foot in the door with some of my live TV experience. I got in there, I worked on this show called Playbook, um, used to star like Sterling Sharp and Brian Balding or kind of really weekly analysis of the games. I got a uh, job working on that show out of the NFL films building and then kind of slowly got some small NFL film style pieces that I'd work on for a couple of years. And then and now I've been there 15 years and I've gotten to work on some, some great shows. Uh, you know, just, it's just really been, been an awesome experience. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, <laughs> dream job type thing at the beginning, and uh, we're going to get into some of those works and we'll focus a lot on your time around the the city that you said you went to school with. But first, legendary last year unfortunately we didn't get to see the hall of fame enshrinement this year we'll get to him steve sable how much did you get to work directly with him uh i i did get to work directly with steve for uh, a few years and as i started getting more into the nfl films style of uh documentary style and long form stuff steve at that point was Starting to, I mean, he was around and he would especially watch all the, the bigger pieces and put his feedback, but he was less hands-on. Uh, 
at, at that point, but his influence and, you know, thumbprint is on everything that's, that's done there. I mean, even now it like when we're watching a show, like the, the, like the most recent big documentary that I put out was the, the great Brady heist. Like as we're watching those shows back internally, we're like, well, what would Steve think of this as we're trying to make decisions? I mean, we still, he still has a huge impact on everything that comes out of that building. Yeah. I mean, as an NFL fan, we have a lot to thank to Steve Sable for oh, really documenting. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, when you grew up, you said you were an NFL films fan. Is there a video or a documentary or something that stuck out in your mind when you were younger? Um, it's not one specific documentary that, that sticks out. I mean, wh- one thing that, um, I'd watch every year was just the team highlights, right? Which are one of the staples and yet most basic things NFL films. But like, I grew up a Patriots fan when the Patriots were not good. But you watch a, a thirty-minute recap of the season every year, and you're like, "Oh yeah, we, we were really, there were some really good moments," and you're so excited for the next year just because the way the way the story is told, it's told to you know keep that build that passion of you know among the fan base and give hope for the next season so um as i got older i started to realize it's like oh you know there's really some work behind the scenes that makes you think that a one in 15 teams got some got a chance next year (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you're talking to i don't know if we discussed this earlier but a lions fan so i've gone through many of those moments watching maybe barry sanders or megatron highlights and thinking oh we got we got a chance next year and uh you again go back to the patriots that's one of the themes we're going to focus on in this interview just because you had a lot of interactions on various um speaking of the patriots and bill belichick being around them for so long what did you learn about what it means to i'm using air quotes here do your job um so one of the things i really learned you you know you think you know the the patriot way you think it's like you you think that Belichick, since he's so involved with the whole team, you know, from a fan's point of view, I think you you think of him as like a control master, right? But do your job really means do your job. Like he gives, like I've talked to Josh McDaniels, like when we've done interviews for the show, do your job and all the entire coaching staff. And he relies on them and lets them do their job. You know, and that's just one thing I, Josh, I think it was in one of our, one of the, shows is that he really appreciated working there because he, he feels that uh, they're given a task. They're allowed to work through it. You know, he can bring a game plan or something to the offensive meeting and, or review it with Bill and there, and, and Josh said this in one of the shows, there may be some things that want to change or whatever, but it's uh, your work is respected and, and expected also. Yeah. And that you brought that up, too the fans often think that bill belichick is i don't know what's the best word micromanaging the entire operations but on the contrary like you said do your job and just like a commander on the battlefield that has so many different units and battalions that he's controlling but he says okay you're in charge of this and you again like you said do your job and we got to see a little bit different side of bill belichick we'll get into in the nfl all, you know, the all time 100 team, which I, again, that video that you guys created, that was fantastic. Bringing all of those legends together to talk about 
again, 100 greatest individuals of all time in the NFL. I wish Steve would have been there for that. Yeah, yeah I did. I do as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's get into that then. NFL 100 team, the all-time celebration for the 100th birthday of the NFL. Uh, in our pre-interview, you kind of mentioned it was, I guess you call it a hybrid between a studio and a documentary. Like, What did you mean by that? Okay, so just based on the context of what the amount of information that needed to be conveyed over those six episodes, I knew it had to be set up similar to a studio show with a host that could help us get through all the information. Uh, And that happened to be Rich Eisen, and he was perfect for that. Um, And Rich also really took on sort of uh, the fan's voice through that. I mean, if you watch the show, you can see like how excited he is at moments to just to be witnessing this happening. Um, But we also wanted to rely on the NFL films elements and storytelling that you can't necessarily do in a totally scripted studio show where we're going to say, okay, we're going to have Jim Brown on set for five minutes and then move on and bring in Emmett Smith. And we're going to talk about this, this, and this, we wanted it to be a more casual conversation like Steve Sable sitting and, you know, across from somebody in an old NFL films presents piece and just let them talk and see what comes out of it. You know, like if you do a, a, a studio, a typical studio show, you have a rundown and it's, we're going to talk about this and then this and then this and then this. Um, we really wanted Chris Collinsworth and Bill Belichick and Rich Eisen, who were our three talent on the show, to be able to talk about whatever they wanted to talk about with these guests. So we basically, we had to have some time constraints so things didn't get totally out of hand, but we basically just let them talk and we wouldn't interrupt them by running a video highlight of something and kind of leading the conversation that way. We'd let them talk and see where the conversation went. And another way we tried to help that is our cameras were far removed from the most part from the set. We wanted them to kind of forget that they were on a TV show. So we shot, um, with NFL films cameras rather than typical studio cameras with longer lenses, with a shallower depth of field and kind of had them hidden in the background in the dark. Um, so to try to make people more comfortable and it, just seeing the camera close to you changes the way people react. Right. So we let them talk and then we figured we would after, like I said, instead of leading what their conversation is going to be with a video of a Emmett Smith run against Team X, we just let the conversation go where it is. And then we took their conversations into an edit bay after the fact and we added, okay, they talked about this game. Oh, we've got great footage. Oh, and so-and-so happened to be wired in that game, which always makes any element better when we have on-field sound and other thing to thanks Steve Sable for. Um, so we'll, we'll splice some of that in, uh, into their conversation. So it was, um, we came out of recording each episode with like the, the bones of a studio show and then kind of made it more into a documentary style feature by the way we were able to embellish what they talked about with our, you know, documentary style elements. How much time did you have, how long the recording style, just getting the legends in there. How, how long of a period was that? Uh, not, not long. Um, we filmed over, we filmed it in April. 
uh, you know, what did it air? So it was like the fall of 2019, I think, that the shows aired. We filmed over like three days in April. So we, we would film multiple, we'd film multiple episodes per day and, you know, huge thanks to our talent relations group, getting all those legends there and coordinating their schedules and getting them in and out. And, uh, but when you're trying to coordinate Chris Collinsworth's schedule, Rich Eisen's schedule with Bill Belichick's schedule, and then all these legends, I mean, we had to kind of like, okay, let's pick these days and get as many people in there as we can and make it as efficient as we possibly could. So what you said April, would that have been right after the draft or because Bill Belichick is pr- planning for that during April? It was, yes, it, I think it would, I can't remember the dates, but I, I believe it was right after the draft. Or I think it might've been the end of April and like the first day or two of may yeah i mean that makes sense because like it's rated it's it's at lull time even though it never exactly that's that little yeah and pre-mini camps and any of that stuff it was in that post-draft pre-mini camp window yeah but still trying to coordinate i mean mean, they all have their own commitments so that's right that's a we're in mount laurel new jersey you know like we're not in la or something you know like it's getting everybody there is a little different than getting them into New York or something like that. Right. Yeah. It's definitely a cool feat. And then that's just, I guess you could say when the show really begins for a lot of your production team, like how much, how how long does it take for post-production for something of that magnitude? So we've, we worked on those shows for a couple months, but it's, I mean, it's hard to, there's also other, other, shows that you're working on in and out. Um, Steve Menzel is uh, uh, another senior producer like myself at NFL Films. Um, and him and I worked, uh, we did most of the post-production on those shows. So we kind of split them up and worked off and on on them from May through September, really, till through the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, talk about a cool project that you got to work on that I guess you could say... I don't know, a landmark milestone, a hundred years. That's all. I mean, that's, that's a long time. Not too often can people say they got to do something like the centennial. So question for you. No, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say it was great because you know, the, the NFL 100 was a big initiative like league wide and the reveal of the all time team through our show um, was really sort of the, the, Pinnacle. It was really the last big thing on, and that sort of NFL 100 year. And then, of course, all the living players were at the Super Bowl later. So yeah, it it was really rewarding uh, to work on that. Just walking into the studio every day, and we had the big wall with the plaques for each guy. That as that kind of filled up each year, each day was pretty amazing. Yeah, just one of those like a surreal moment that again milestone. Not too many people get to. Uh, be able to be a part of. I'm going to show you this little DeLorean that I have right here. This is going to be a theme yeah, through nice. the show. You're going to hop in this okay. DeLorean multiple times. So now, though, this is different. Normally, I ask people to go back in time. You're going to go forward 30, 40 okay. years, whatever it is, and you're sitting around the... I don't know if they're going to have fires at that point or if everything's going to be digital, but we're going to have a... You're going to be around a fire with your grandkids, maybe even a great-grandkid. Okay. And you're going to tell them and relive the story they said, hey, I've, I pulled up this old thing called a Blu-ray DVD. What is this? And I watched this NFL 100. That was cool, Papa. What was it like? Tell them the story about that. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was an amazing experience. I got to 
work with the number one game analysts of the time with the greatest head coach who's ever lived and also happens to be this encyclopedia of football. And throughout that, we had visits from the greatest receiver who ever lived, the greatest and my favorite running back is like I was a huge Barry Sanders fan. I mean, he was my favorite non-Patriot. I mean, just his, even though he would turn around the Patriots and make them look foolish on the long runs, you know, I mean, he, he was just amazing, you know, to have Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, and Jim Brown sitting at a table together talking about what it's like to play running back in the NFL is pretty, pretty amazing. And the greatest quarterback who ever lived who happened to, uh, be the quarterback of my favorite team for most of his career until recent events. Um, it was just, it's a, was a once in a lifetime experience. It's something I'll, I'll never forget. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. So cool. And I mean, I'm, I'm biased. Barry Sanders is my, is the best running back in my mind just because of <laughs> growing up. The listener of the show who's listening right now knows the story. I don't got to keep going on and on about it, but uh, you brought up the, you know, Belichick and how cool it was to, he's an encyclopedia. Like, the dude knows his history, unlike oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Chris Collinsworth even made that comment. I forgot exactly what it was, but how does anybody even know about some, oh, some yeah. person? During the, I think it's like the defensive line episode. I think it was. This was a really cool moment too, and something that I'm hoping to maybe turn a future into a future feature. Um, he's like, yeah. Did you know these because you're, you know, your dad? Because obviously, everybody knows, you know, Bill's dad was. Uh, heavily involved in football and and Bill's like, Oh, I learned all these guys from like the, the two way player days uh, from football cards. Like he was a big football card collector. Um, and that is that collection still exists somewhere. I need to see it someday. So yeah, it, it's unbelievable. We, so we, because his knowledge is so vast on all these guys, like he loved the, talking about the two-way players from that era. We kind of, when we were putting the shows together, you know, okay, Barry Sanders, we're going to do Barry Sanders. There is no shortage of Barry Sanders footage, like incredible footage that we can highlight that in. But some of these guys, there's like one or two shots that, film shots that appeared on some newsreel somewhere that we were able to track down. So we couldn't really do a full feature on this. We're like, well, how about we take them from the desk and have coach Belichick with a clicker and just show on the one or two plays we have, what made this guy such a great player. And he's breaking down these guys like they're, you know, the first round picks in the upcoming draft. I mean, every detail on them, you know, it's, it, it was just really just in awe of his knowledge of the game. It's, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, just the knowledge of the game and the history, like you said, it almost reminded me of back when they showed some of the very early, some of the curly, curly Lam- or actually Vince Lombardi for video, curly Lambo. Geez, I don't even know if we ever had him on video and sound, did we? Uh, no sound. No, I think there's a cup. There's a couple of film shots out there somewhere, but there's no no sound. Yeah. And speaking of Belichick, we'll go back to him real quick. Uh, one of the coolest thing or funniest things, I guess, because he had. We mentioned it, how he was able to open up and Collinsworth mentioned that, like to close the whole thing too. how it was neat to see this guy and this 
stoic of a person who actually like he opened up and there was a comment in there. I don't remember why, but Bill Belichick said, would you like me to revert to my conference answer or something yeah, like yeah, that? Yeah. I don't remember what yeah. he was, he was saying about it. And speaking to him and his vast knowledge uh, more than even beyond what you just spoke about, what's the one thing maybe that Belichick brought up a story that you're like, wow, that is just something that's amazing. You know, so some of my, I mean, he's evolved in most of my favorite moments from that series. I mean, his admiration for Ed Reed and, and some of the players and you knew, like I had known that he had great admiration from Ed Reed from some previous things we did. We knew that they'd be great on set together. Um, Jim Brown, we knew he had a great admiration for Jim Brown. um, Emmett Smith, he, I, I didn't know that, you know, I'm sure, obviously do. I'm sure he respected him and thought he was a, a good player and stuff. Like he really went into detail when Emmett Smith was on set about his running style and what made him such a, a great player. And, and that was one moment that stuck out. I just thought it was really cool. I mean, him with Randy Moss on set, obviously we knew that was going to be great and it was. And, um, and, uh, and him and Tom Brady on set together was great also. You know, they're just, uh, I just it's just so hard to pick like one moment. I mean, he was he was just tremendous on that. I, honestly, I think he should have won an Emmy for his studio analyst work on on that because it it was something different than we've ever seen before. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're when you're comparing it to his standard, like he said, my my protocol for my my conference answers, and I didn't realize that very standard. But now you kind of. Now you kind of see, you see by watching the, that show, like why players love them. I mean, sure, there have been players that have been in and out of there that may say some. I mean, nobody gets along with everybody, but like for the most part, players, I, I think, like really like playing for for him because I think that's probably a little bit more of what they see than what we see in press conferences. Yeah, that makes sense. Because the public eye has this perception, but in-house where he's running the team and he has to have that camaraderie of somehow and respect and be able to give, like you said, people do your job. That's what I expect from you. And as long as you do your job, we're on cool terms and everything. And uh, speaking of cool terms, I didn't realize that when Barry broke the 2000 barrier, it was against his defense. That was a cool little snippet. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And then, of course, the coaches, we talk about all of the legendary coaches, um, Let's let's get into maybe your next project real quick before we touch back on some Patriots. The timeline, Vince Lombardi's Redskins. Uh, most people, many, I should say, many people from my era, and even I didn't realize until I started an NFL history podcast that he even, he was not just a Green Bay Packers head coach. I mean, let's talk a little bit about his time with the Redskins. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I, I knew that he was with the Redskins briefly, but heading into pre-production on that uh, timeline documentary, I didn't really know. I didn't know anything about that time. Um, And honestly, I didn't know. I knew about Vince Lombardi, the football coach, but I didn't know that much about Vince Lombardi, like the, the person and what made kind of the impact that he had on his players' lives and stuff. And that, that was, um, I think that's more what I took away from Vince Vince Lombardi with the Redskins than anything else was just the the type of person he was and how he was really ahead of his time as far as inclusion 
goes. And then it goes back to his Packers days too. Um, trying to make, you know, all players comfortable and really only judging people on their talent. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, something that he, he, uh, Bill Curry, I brought him on the show and he mm-hmm. talked about how Vince Lombardi changed his life. And, and from a viewpoint, being a, being a Southerner and that kind of thing, coming into a huddle, right. and it was the huddle. Everybody in that huddle is on your team. And again, I didn't realize much about Lombardi. I always thought he was this, go back to Belichick, a per- prime example. I thought he was this X's and O's, um, stout guy. You're going to run wind sprints till you puke. And that was it, you know, dedication. And, and But I didn't realize there was that other, like you said, the person behind the man that we see on film. Yeah, one of the things that I, you know, really learned researching that film was that, uh, you know, he faced a decent amount of discrimination in his childhood and growing up and, and even into college. So that really shaped his views on things. And he just didn't accept discrimination in his locker room or from anybody. You know, he, I think his personal experiences really opened him up to, to, being as an inclusive leader, like you said, uh, I think almost everybody thinks of him, you know, and it's a seal here and seal here and then run it up. And that's all you think of in this really hard nosed football guy. But um, there was another side to him. Yeah. Speaking of research real quick, we'll give Chris Willis a shout out on the show because I'm sure that he helped you out a little bit there. Uh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Chris is Chris is a huge part of uh, everything we do at NFL films. Yeah. And uh, so Chris Willis in charge of a head of research, speaking of research and old long time ago, we'll kind of transition into your next uh, more, more recent big time documentary uh, stolen artifacts. That's not a nor that's not a new thing. I mean, during wartime, no. the British museum, they, all these countries want yeah. their stuff back and everything, but uh, this is a different type of artifact, but I saw how you said it didn't mean anything to Mexico, you know, just a t-shirt, but, the great Brady heist. Let's jump into that. Yeah, that was uh, a really fun project to work on. Uh, different than most of this, pretty much anything we've done in NFL films, which is great to always kind of change styles and uh, a little bit. But it, it was one of those things where initially somebody had brought up uh what do we do what about we do a documentary on tom brady's stolen jersey and they're like well this how are you going to get a whole documentary but then as you start doing research and we had production partners on this one as well which is another thing that made it a little bit different um religion of sports which is a, a company tom brady is a founder in was involved uh in this as well and uh and fox where it ended up airing has a film division called magnify so as everybody kind of started putting the pieces together. So like, this deserves a full length documentary, especially if we can get the one missing piece, uh, which fortunately we were able to, and that is actually to hear from the perpetrator because he had basically been in hiding since it had, had happened. So that would, that was, that was a fun project to work on for sure. Yeah. Like you said, when I went into it, you know, I always keep an open mind and I was thinking, how can you really, because I saw on the YouTube, 45 minutes, wait, how are we going to do a 45 minute piece on a jersey? But then it broke it down. And at the very end, of course, we got to hear from the perpetrator. What was it? Ortega, I think was his last name. Yep. What was it like talking to him at his house or wherever you guys were at? Like what kind of emotions went through your mind? It was at his house um, outside Mexico City. It was, 
it was interesting. I think it was important to to get his point of view, which is how, which is basically what I told him when we made contact with him. Is that this is this is gonna this is a film that's gonna be made, and we'd love to hear from you and have you share you know your side of the story. And I think that was important part of the film and and he agreed. So it's, it was interesting being there because I mean, he, he explains it as he was a fan that had access through his media credentials and got carried away. And I believe that to be true, but I also don't think he is a hundred percent honest with him self with what happened necessarily. Yeah. I mean, that's often the case when someone gets in too deep with not realizing it, but yeah, that seeing that side of things, wrapping that up at the end and then kind of closing it out from a, from a person, a fan's point of view watching. Cause the first thing you think of is like, like sheer anger of like, why would somebody do that to somebody's moment? And then it was great to see Brady at the end with uh, the forgiveness and everything. So, yeah. And he gives and Tom gives incredible. Like, I love that his last couple of scenes that he's in it. Cause he really gives great perspective on everything. I mean, he realizes, I mean, he's a very thoughtful person. He realizes the importance that sports have on a community and to individuals and, um, at the, so he realizes the the importance and the the stakes that there were, but at the same time, he also realizes that uh, it was just a jersey, and he doesn't want someone's life ruined over making, um, you know, making a a mistake. I think is how he says it. Right. Yeah. It was something along those lines of, yeah, just for a jersey, someone's entire life being ruined. And uh, one thing I had to ask you before we get into the next, did you have any inspiration from the TV show persons of interest when you had some of these little things showing <laughs> uh, that is, you know, there's that is a show that, that was mentioned when we were talking about things. Cause we, so early on, once we kind of in pre-production started researching, started researching the footage and seeing like talking to the investigators and knowing how they were able to sort of track him kind of knew that surveillance was going to be, sort of a motif or style in it. So we put a, a lower resolution camera up high for all of our interviews. So that tried to create this field of that, you know, this big brother, we're always being watched no matter what we're doing type uh, situation. So yeah, there was a uh, person of interest was a show we talked about. I and mean, there's some other documentaries. Um, I mean, you kind of, everybody always borrows from here and there and, but, but yeah, it's funny that that is that is one that opening title sequence that they have is, is something we definitely looked at. That was the first thing. I mean, as soon as I saw it, of course, that's a show that I I, I really enjoy that show. And I yeah. saw like where they had the little like the name Ortega and then showing him. I'm like, holy crap, this reminds me of persons of interest. This is cool. <laughs> so before again, I'm going to get you into the DeLorean question. This time we'll go back in time. But what do you think separates what maybe the best way is a good producer director from like the great ones, like the good starting quarterbacks from the Brady, but from a production standpoint. Oof, that's tough. Um, I would say a couple things. One, you can't cut any quarters. I mean, in the way 
just life is today. I mean, everybody's so busy all the time on anything, but you have to take the time to research the material and find, you know, even if it's game footage, it's sticking with the NFL films type thing, there may be, and it's logged, there may be shots in between the plays that are really the key moments that, you know, the look on somebody's face as they're walking back to the sideline or something that may not have been important. Like when that game was logged 15 years ago, but now knowing what that guy had going on in his personal life at that time can help convey the emotions that they, why, why that they were going through at that, at that moment that, that impacted their play or whatever. So you, you can't cut any corners. You have to, you have to be adaptable. Like a lot of times you get into a documentary with an idea of, okay, this is our story. But then as you start interviewing people uh, or start researching the footage, like, oh, this was our story, but really this is the story. So you, you got to be able to, to veer off and, and kind of identify what that best narrative is. Uh, and then I would say trying being able to, especially working like where I do. So everything we've, most of the things that we tell stories about NFL films, people already know the results, right? Like we do the highlights for inside the NFL every week. People know those game results and they've seen highlights on sports center and everything else. But our job is to tell the story in a way that it hasn't been told before. So. I said most of the things people knew that Tom Brady's jersey had been stolen and they knew that it had been returned, even if they just heard it on the passing glance on SportsCenter or something. But my job was to tell that story in a way that nobody had heard before. Yeah, I think you did a good job there too, because there were so many more. It was cool to see the different types of layers and to see the different even the head of the security guy with the irish accent and just all these different types of yeah. things it was or whatever accent it was <laughs> where, yeah. where was he from again uh, i think he's from australia yeah okay yeah he definitely was a different type of an ear and uh speaking of good to great and having a great production crew so now i do get to hop except this delorean i don't think is big enough for you and a whole bunch of other dudes so we're going to modify this and create a all right the the john madden cruiser we're going to modify with a flux capacitor you can take an entire crew with all of your modern day technology to any point in nfl history and you can document create a film for that that moment well, that's tough. Any say in NFL history. Honestly, I think, and this, this kind of, and this is something we have done a lot on, but when you talk about the modern technology, putting a totally different spin on it. And it pains me because I said, I am a Patriots fan, but I would go back to Namath's guarantee and the Super Bowl win, because I think if you had Namath wired in that game, you know, if we have the like a Super Bowl, I think we had 14 players wired for sound in this most recent Super Bowl. I mean, if we have, and then you get a bunch of the Colts players and you hear what they're talking about on the sideline about, you know, 
you get to see like were they overconfident in that game you know what was Namath saying on the sideline to the players to get them to buy into that they could win the game and because I mean and the reason I picked that is you know the Jets winning is kind of what made the NFL you know post merger like the the NFL that we know it now where all teams are equal you know it was it's not like well this is these are the new young kids on the block and they don't really stand a chance versus the establishment yeah no, so that would be a good one like you said especially with the wires on the sidelines i mean yeah i've i've asked a question to many people like what moment your favorite moment in NFL history or where would you go back to and of course there's it normally is either the founding that game the 58 championship like those are the big ones yeah 58 championship yeah even with uh so my very first ever i'm using air quotes again interview was i caught chris berman for like three minutes or five minutes at the pro football hall of fame and i was super nervous i'm sitting there probably shaking my microphone and i asked him what's your favorite football moment of all time and that's what he brought up was i'm going back to and i'm going to you know relive that moment and and that kind of thing. I don't remember the details off of hand. Right. Um, me, if I had one thing I would love to do, and of course it'd be so hard to really get, you'd have to really go back in Madden's cruiser with the flux capacitor because the founding of the NFL, I want to hire the guys. There's a, um, I can't remember the name of the production crew, but there's a documentary, the men who built America from the history channel. The yeah. Way, I've, I've watched some of it. Yeah. Oh man. I just, now granted, that's just one of many that are amazing. So I don't want to like, put down any others but just the way that they put those five individuals together from the men who built america back in like the late 1800s it was just cool to see them interweave their stories i think the same thing could be done with like the george hallis and in that kind of thing and the curly lambo at the very beginning of the nfl but again we wouldn't have the live footage so but no different than with the men who built america they didn't have live footage like I said, I like to maybe reenact it like that. So right. down the road, I might be hiring Joe to uh, create a video for me, but that's like way down the road. So speaking of All that, right. before we move in, who you said 14 players. Like, who do you pick? You can only pick four. Like, how do you make that decision on who to wire? Um, well, I don't make that decision. So, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, NFL films will have the players that we want. I mean, obviously – love a list of guys that will want and some of that will be made on who's kind of the hot players at the time who's the stars um also we learn a lot from sometimes we'll we'll wire a guy in a early season game a couple years ago and it'd just be like you talk to the team pr guys and be like hey who do you think would be a good wire and they give us a guy and then you just like you hear him like oh my god that guy's personality is incredible like he's just a great uh a great wire so we'll you know we'll go back to them because i mean there are great players that don't talk a lot during the game so it's not really it's still nice to have them wired occasionally because that also means that there's a camera isoing the, the whole game so even if they're sort of a silent assassin defensive back type thing you know you you know you're gonna get an incredible shot of every big hit they have over or them jumping the route to pick off the pass and go back. So that that's nice. But, you know, a lot of it is personality-based uh, as well. Um, and, you know, I'll, I think the teams will offer certainly input on more than one occasion on who, they, who they'd who they want us to wire. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, like you said, the the personality, I, I don't know for sure, but I would, Barry Sanders may or may not have ever been wired just for the fact. <laughs> I don't think he was. We also didn't do a lot of them now. We do a lot more than we ever have, um, which is great. I mean, it's one of the things that uh, I think fans really love. I mean, we, we uh, produce a whole show for, I haven't worked on it in a few years, but uh it used to be called Sound Effects and aired on NFL Network. Now there's a new version of it that airs on YouTube. I can't blank it on the name of it right now, but it's it's just the game through two or three players that are wired's point of views, basically. It's and like I said, our job is to people know the score of the game already when they're watching our stuff. They know what happened, so we're our job is to show it in a different way and hearing directly from the players on the field as the game goes on, it's certainly a different way to, to show it. And, and people love access to anything now, you know, and there's no greater access than having uh, a camera ISOing a guy with a mic on him in the huddle and every play. And while he's sitting on the bench, talking to his position coaches, figuring out what's coming up next. It's, it's a, certainly a great tool that we have. Yeah. And I, I don't watch the other sports, so I wouldn't know, but I, I don't recall ever watching them when I was even growing up or even more recently like, that they really do that much. Maybe in baseball, they, they talk to the manager. They're starting or, to more in they? baseball. Especially, I, I know I've seen over the last couple of years in spring training, baseball, I have guys mic'd up. Um, and like they do a really cool thing usually during the all-star game where where the game doesn't necessarily matter. Well, they'll have, I think it was, I think Bryce Harper in the all-star game last year and Mookie Betts, they had earpieces on, like they were playing the outfield and talking to oh, the broadcasters that is cool. and they'd be like, hold on. As he's like, I got to take off and like run after a ball. Like that, that's pretty cool. I, you know, obviously it's gotta, that's gotta be an exhibition type setting. Cause you can't distract them as a, you know, 95 mile an hour pitch is coming at them. But that is very neat though, that, like the fans can kind of see and hear them talking and be really yeah. like almost in the, in their, their ears. What, where, like, how does the microphone like go on a player? You're talking about a violent sport. Like how do you make it not <laughs> for football? <laughs> we have, well, I mean, we have a whole department dedicated to um, field audio and sound and they've, it's changed multiple times over the years. Like, so for instance, hard knocks, which we produce, they'll, we actually will sew pockets into the jerseys, like their practice jerseys, because we have so many guys mic'd up every practice. So all their practice jerseys will have the sort of the little mic pockets in them um, so that from day to day they can change them quick. During a game, I believe uh, I believe they're actually attached like inside the like the sort of chest plate of the pads now is where the mic is, I believe. But I'm not 100% sure on that. That's where I would imagine just because I was thinking, I'm like, the microphone in with all, again, every time they adjust their pads and stuff, you can really hear it rustling. But still, you get a really good audio. It's surprisingly yeah. considering that you ha- you're inside a stadium and everything of the, it must, like, what, okay, let's get real nerdy now. Does, do you know what type of a microphone that would be then or no? I don't, I don't, uh, I, I could put you in touch with Scott Carter, who runs our field audio department could, uh, could give you a whole breakdown on it, but his team is those guys are, it's incredible. The the stuff that they're, they're able to capture for us. 
Okay, so this is a side. Yes, we'll talk about that after. But I wouldn't actually. I would like to talk to him because that's what the show is about. Is like understanding, like you said, everybody knows the score already. They know what Barry Sanders' career was like. Let's go back to him. But maybe yeah. let's what's the stories behind it, or they, you know. So that's the type right. of thing that this show is about. And with that, um, we'll kind of wrap it up with. You can give any last words of wisdom. Maybe what your next project is. It's an open floor. Go. I, I would say last words of wisdom are for anybody who's out there and has something that they really love uh, to pursue that. Like I couldn't imagine having any other job than I have now. So I feel uh, incredibly fortunate. I again, a lot of lucky breaks to, along the way to make it happen. But I really believe that if you kind of set your mind towards a goal and you work hard towards it, uh, you know, you can, you can get to where you want to be and do something that, uh, you enjoy every day because, you know, there's the world is so crazy now that, uh, uh, having, having something that you and doing something that you enjoy every day, uh, makes it a little bit easier. How about that? I mean, I'm personally not sure which one is my favorite part because there's so many different cool behind the scenes things. I mean, maybe for me personally, it'd be a choice between how they produced that hybrid version of the NFL 100 all-time team or even learning about how they went into Mexico after the whole Brady heist thing to create a 45 or so minute documentary of Jersey being stolen, something that seems so insignificant because it was funny how he talked about, you know, $6, I forgot how many dollars it was of the Jersey over in Mexico, yet to hear it's priceless. So very cool to hear that. And also a little behind the scenes about how the mic'd up process works. But no matter your favorite part, I know you want to get your hands on that box set of the NFL 100 all-time film. And that's why you need to sign up for our contest over at sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash contest. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Football History Dude. To make sure you're the first to get the next episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice and head on over to thefootballhistorydude.com for the show notes and more information on the history of the NFL. And remember, dudes, where we're going, we don't need roads. The 2021 Professional Football Researchers Association Convention will be held at the Gold Jacket Lounge at the Pro Football Hall of Fame during the final weekend of June. Convention speakers will celebrate the 100th anniversary of the founding of the NFL. The fee for the convention is $50 for members and $100 for non-members. The fee includes admission to the convention and Pro Football Hall of Fame, meals on Friday evening and Saturday afternoon, and free parking. All convention activities are subject to COVID-19 protocols. For more details, Click on the 2021 PFRA convention link at profootballresearchers.org.